Welcome to the Impact Investing Ingle Nook of Bonfires of Social Enterprise. This is Rami, and this is our first Impact Investing segment of Season 2, and we plan to publish this monthly. Now, I'm going to be a little disruptive here to some of the Impact Investing conversations. While financial capital is critical in Impact Investing, it is certainly not the end-all and be-all solution. We spend a lot of time putting the right financial deals together, and that's really important that we do that. But you see, a truth I've come to understand is that without people support in the form of, gosh, everything from skill building, advice, brainstorming, networking, it's almost impossible for the social enterprise to succeed. I'm not saying that it can't happen. What I am saying is this. I've watched Capital Place into Social Impact Ventures over and over again for the last five years. My truth is this, the very best outcomes are either segmented dollar amounts or smaller dollar amounts put in over time with high-powered people support to walk through the decision matrix of everyday business planning. So my point here is that lending time and advice and people skills are just as important, if not more important than the money. The scenes have played out in front of me like Hollywood movies. So with as much as I've witnessed, you would have thought I would have done a show on this earlier, but sometimes it takes me a minute to realize a true pattern. So on this episode, you're going to meet Tom Desher. Tom's a great friend and has been counsel to our firm, Gingress Global, for a long time. I'm so thankful. Tom and his wife, Barbara, use their financial capital to both support nonprofit charity work around the world and impact investing. They have a long history of sharing their resources around the world. I have asked Tom for this episode to hone in on what impact investing means in terms of giving your time and helping with skill building and advice. You'll learn that Tom's focused outcome of impact investing, whether it's his time or his money, is to create and sustain jobs. He's very interested in supporting one location in particular, and that's Flint, Michigan. And as a treat for any of you that may be listening, that are leaving a long, somewhat traditional career and thinking about transitioning to support social enterprise the way Tom is, he gives some great tips at the end of the episode on how to navigate that transition. Okay, let's listen into my interview with Tom Desher. So my business background is I was a partner in a consulting firm for over 40 years and worked in the last 20 years with manufacturing and businesses, auto suppliers, and built a very substantial practice and really loved working with businesses. On the personal side, Barbara and I led over 30 mission trips all over the world And we did medical teams, construction, children's ministry, and other sundry activities. So that was sort of the other part of our life. So really, as we were looking at what we call our next season, we said, what do we feel that we're being called to do? Believe it or not, we melted together our business activities with our ministry activities because really we're all about helping businesses create jobs. They have to have profits to have jobs, but our real focus is on creating jobs. 
as it relates to helping people here locally, say in Flint, I don't know what I can do for someone that needs a job, but if I can help a business here be successful and be a good employer and create jobs, then I've fulfilled my mission. Barbara and I started together in Desher Advisors. She has an assessment tool that she administers that's been very helpful with us, with working with clients and team building, et cetera, helping young owners understand different personalities, et cetera, and building a stronger team. Tom, how did you start to land and narrow it into employment being one of your key qualifiers for your impact investing? Again, I guess we, Barbara and I, stepped back and said, how can we have our greatest impact in this next, what we call this next season of our life? And we felt that it was really jobs. Wherever we were, it would be getting for-profit jobs created would be the best impact that we could have. Why would that be? If we keep going there, what does that end up meaning in your opinion if you follow that out? Yeah, if you follow it out, kind of the way I'd look at it would be if you can create jobs where people, good jobs, where employers treat their employees with respect and dignity, you have someone that does something meaningful, they feel good about themselves, they earn a wage, they pay taxes, they're able to buy a house, they pay property taxes, maybe local city taxes, They maybe are involved at their local church, maybe at a not-for-profit. So just the whole community is stronger if we have people employed, is my point of view. The overall economic development of the community. Exactly. Right, right. right. And sustainability, where they don't keep needing more, right? Right. Some people view that that's pouring into a community in the form of donations. Some people, that means only investment. Some people means time. How do you start to view impact investing? I would say that a lot of it is, in our case, would be time. So I'll give you a recent example. I have a new client that I've discovered is actually has financial difficulty, and they employ about 40 people. They've been in business for 30 years. And so when I discovered their financial situation, I elected to, I'll say, donate some of my time for now. And I told the owner that I'm doing this for those 40 people and their jobs. So it's just really clear to me why I'm doing what I'm doing. And it keeps going back to employment and for more people to be employed long-term in how they feel about themselves. Well, I know you might not be an expert at all the data around Flint. What's your perspective on the economic needs of Flint, why it needs impact-type investing? Flint, I'm told, was one of the most affluent cities in the United States back in the 40s and 50s and maybe even into the 60s. We all know that General Motors, who used to have 60% market share in the U.S., is now down to, I don't know, 21% or something like that. So all of those jobs that used to be in Flint disappeared, and people that could move somewhere else did. 
but others were just left there. So it's a very sad story of a town that was really dependent on one major corporation who essentially downsized substantially because of the market. I've always felt that that's where your specialty is, these um, the high achievers, if you will. You want to help those who are really working hard to help themselves, right? Right, exactly. And they're out there. One of the things that I have observed my whole career is there's a lot of business owners that are great employers that are having huge impacts in their community, but you don't even know them. You don't know their name. You don't even know what they're doing. So I'm really looking for them in this community. That really is what I'm all about, is I want to get connected to those people, which I know are out there. They just don't go around pounding their chest. They're just <laughs> quietly being effective and being great employers and helping their community. And most of those people are the backbone of a local charity, usually, if you get into their lives. Right. But they don't go around talking, bragging about it. They just do it. So what would be a scenario of a win when you find a typical candidate that you just described? What would be a sample of a win where you says, man, either my capital and my time was effective there? I guess it would be where I'm wise enough to come up with some ideas that would be beneficial to them. So one common idea that I have is often in a business, there's a cycle where the owner can get it to a certain size, but really needs to bring in a num what I call a number two. A lot of times we call it a COO. So I've been helpful in helping people see that, okay, and then in helping them get the help they need to identify and bring in a number two person into their business so they can continue to grow and the owner can do the things they're good at and the COO can do many of the other chores that can be handled by someone like that. It's so tough to make that transition from working in the business to working on the business. I think everybody battles with it when they're making a transition from a micro business to a small and then becoming a larger, small business. Mm -hmm. It's a tricky thing to transition to. In your opinion, in those scenarios, when they are at that level trying to take that next step, do they often need just skill building and advisement, or do they also need capital, or does it even range, depending on the situation? I think it's more people to me. I think the good businesses can get the capital they need. It's really the people. So I just mentioned the COO concept. I also work with people on, I'll call it the opposite issue, which is maybe their top number two or three people in the business have outgrown the business. Maybe the owner has people that have worked for him or her for a long time who are in positions that they shouldn't be in. And the owner is struggling because the people that I work with are very loyal to their people, sometimes to a fault. And so I've helped them with either repositioning that person to another position inside the company, or sometimes, depending on the attitude of the person, they maybe need to even move out. And the reason that I say that is that's a blockage for them to grow. Because when I think of successful business, it's very simple. 
just get the best people you can and things will happen. Well, if you have someone at a high position who doesn't deserve to be there, you're not going to get the best talent. I'll guarantee you that. Now, you get somebody in that job who's really is an Olympic athlete, using your word, they'll attract more good people. Good things will happen to that business. So I think it's more people. I think as I look at organizations, it's more about having how many good people, how many A players do you have at a high level in your business? And companies that have more A players are going to do really well. A term that's used so much in this impact investing space is everyone anchors on a familiar parable of you can teach a man to fish, it's better to do that. But as you play that out in this world of impact investing, we can say, okay, they might know how to fish or they might have some basic skills, but they do need a little capital to buy the pool maybe or a little bit of equipment, their piece on the lake. But really from there on out, They really do need to be surrounded by experiences and others who teach them all the different techniques. And that doesn't really stop. You're hitting on one of the points here in 2016 that to me is really specific about impact investing that we've figured out over the last five years. Everybody thinks it's 100% capital, financial capital that needs to be inserted, and you just got to wait a little bit to get it back. It's actually a little capital and a lot of skill-based support advisement is what we have found is really working. Right. I was mentioning to you earlier, I just read Elon Musk's book, and I didn't know much about him before I read the book. He's brilliant. So, I mean, what he's doing isn't just marketing. I mean, he is a scientist. And so when I think of that and I think of businesses, In each of the positions in your business, you need to attract people that really do love and are passionate about whatever that area is. So if it's a shop floor, if it's making things, if it's selling, having people that just love to sell, love to help customers out, that's what you're looking for is people that just are really at the top of the class in each of their respective areas, HR, people that just love to have the right procedures and processes and development Mm -hmm. programs and et cetera. And when you see them in a business, you see that area of the business just thriving because you have someone that's just incredibly talented and passionate about what they're doing. It's not just a job. Do you feel, Tom, that any of the I mean, you have also invested. I don't want anyone to think that you haven't, but do you find that the actual capital investment gets glamorized? Maybe a little bit more credit goes to the money contribution and the talent piece, the advisement can get left behind? Yeah, it's more obvious. If I have a good idea, how does that really play in? And most people won't even know it's my idea, for starters. So I've had several situations with clients, again, using your word, Olympic athlete clients. I have a CEO who was in a bind at a client, and he shared the story with me. And as I thought about it, I came up with a very non-traditional solution for him. And I even told him, I said, you're not going to like my suggestion, but think about it and 
you do whatever you want to do. Well, he called me up about a month later. He had taken my advice and did something that was really not the path that he would have come up with, and it worked. I'm happy for him. I was happy with the joy in his voice when he shared with me how it did, in fact, work. But no one sees that. It's different than I invested a million dollars in whatever product or company or whatever. But it's my calling. What I'm really at peace about today is clearly my calling is to come up alongside of these owners and the ones that are open to advice. As you know, my recent blog series talk about am I an advisor or a coach? In my blog series, I make the case that because people want to call me a coach. I'm not a coach. I'm an advisor. I'm a partner. I come up alongside of a CEO as if I'm in it with him or her. And the advice I give would be what I would do if it was me. And there's risks, which is part of what I like about business. It's all about you don't know if you're right or wrong. You're hoping you're right, but you go down a path. When you're in it together, there's a degree of camaraderie and fun about it that, hey, we were right. Or guess what? We were wrong. <laughs> we'll know. We'll find out whether this is a good idea or a bad idea because it's going to either be successful or fail. I think some of my clients like just having me next to them as they're going through it and realizing that I understand the whole thing. I have the whole picture. I had a client recently had an issue with their largest customer that was extremely sensitive, and the CEO only told one person inside the company and me about it, and we worked through that together. So I go, okay, he decided to get me involved in it. So I guess I must be offering something of value to him, is, was my conclusion. Oh, yeah, you're a trusted partner. You're a great yeah. listener, too. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. About a year ago, maybe a little longer now, I sat down with you, and I was talking with you about these proposals I kept getting asked to write, mm -hmm. and they were large dollar mm -hmm. amounts mm -hmm. for the size our mm -hmm. business was. Mm -hmm. I, I think I remember telling mm -hmm. you, remember that? I was, one mm -hmm. of them was like a million dollars, and... Mm -hmm. And I said, gosh, I'm writing these. I was writing the best presentations I thought I could make. And you said something to me that was brilliant. You said, Rami, agree to move in dollar amounts of 5000 Agree to do that next amount of work at the most. Mm -hmm. It was one of the best pieces of advice you gave me because I started getting the deals. Because even though they were demanding to know the price all the way to the end, when I'd give them the price, mm -hmm. they'd mm -hmm. even say, I know that's about a right. million dollars, right. Rami. Right. Just right. tell me what it right. is. Right. Right. But right. when I stopped doing that, they started moving forward. And at that moment, I had this light bulb about impact investing, actually, about that 5000 Everybody's saying, well, what's the total need? What's the total need? But often, putting all that capital at once can sort of give the entrepreneur a whole new problem. Right. Or solving it all at once doesn't give that business owner or the team a way to walk through some of the problems that they might solve without it. Now I have a mindset since that meeting about a year and a half ago that let's put little bits in and see what happens to the rest because capital changes other variables. It's not just the one that you see in front of you. Right. 
And I found that my biggest resources were the other skill building resources that I put around it. I don't know, I don't know how that will develop, but I now have my brain on, put capital in a little bit at a time, and then put the talent around it, put the skill building, the advisement. That is what I'm witnessing is really moving the needle forward. And I don't know if it's the same in other parts of the country. It's just something I'm watching right mm -hmm. now. There is, we talked about money. I recognize that money is limited. By the way, whether you're big or small, there's never enough money. Right. <laughs> I mean, I love being in these meetings and they go, well, if we were a bigger company, we'd have more money. Well, it's like you'd have a bigger list of things you want to do. There is no <laughs> difference. So part of it is, I guess the way that I think is have a picture of where we're generally heading and then put in place some steps. I'll use the word invest money and time and then keep assessing, are we going in the right direction? So working it all out at the beginning, you have no idea until you actually put it in play where it's heading because it may take you as a business, if you may go somewhere that you didn't anticipate that's even better than what you really had as your original picture. So you have this big picture, call it a strategy or call it a whatever you want to call it, label it however you want to label it. So I know generally where I'm headed. So I know a company that went into China with a strategy and actually the strategy failed. But because they were engaged in China, they came up with a different business model that is thriving today. So it's like the big picture maybe in their case was doing business in China, maybe, which is kind of a mouthful. They started down a specific path by engaging in China. They paid attention to the results. And by the way, I think another problem that a lot of business owners that aren't as successful have is knowing when to cut and run. Right. Okay, we were wrong. I think good business people know that they're going to be wrong. I believe it might have been Elon Musk, or maybe it was in Branson's book that I read, you will make mistakes. So it's recognize you're going to make a mistake. Mistake is even the wrong word. It's just like you guessed wrong about the market. But now have the courage to say, okay, this is not going to work. Don't just keep doubling down, as they say. Cut it. But did we, maybe we're on to something that's even better than what we had in this company in China. That's what happened with them. They came up with a business that was different than what they started with thinking about, but they wouldn't have had it if they hadn't engaged to begin with, taking that little step. Another word I love to use is pilots. Instead of creating some massive, let's have this all figured out and say, well, let's do a little pilot. Yeah. And that gets everyone thinking even differently. Yeah. So now they think, okay, this is an experiment, so to speak. Maybe it's right, maybe it's wrong. Sometimes people aren't as afraid of making a mistake or having it fail if it's a pilot to begin with. Right. See? Versus saying, okay, we're going to, the company's going to completely start going in another direction. Well, that's kind of scary. Right. Versus we're going to try this little pilot and see what happens. And maybe it's a good idea, maybe it's not. I don't know. That's why I love business. Right. Because you don't know. You don't know for sure. You don't know if the market really will accept what you're offering. 
it's really applicable to impact investing that mostly goes into businesses that have a lot of employees or are trying to create. So we get a lot of human beings running around right. in these right. things. They're not right. Right. typically a tech program right. or a company full of robotics that are programmed. There's a whole lot of shenanigans that right. can right. change by the moment right. that you have to both forward think and manage how the team is perceiving your new right. venture or your pilot or your department or whatever you're attempting to do. Exactly. Everybody's got to be on board. It's all the more reason to tie this to incremental capital and a good amount of people. And listening to your the good employers know how to get the best ideas out of their team members. They don't say to them, I have all the good ideas. They go, well, these people are on the front line. They're the ones that really are seeing what's going on. And creating an environment where people are willing to bring up those crazy ideas that aren't so crazy. They're the ones talking to the customer every day and they know where the rubs are. If an owner can get that information back to them, one of the things that, as I say, you want to have as many of your team members behaving as if it was they were the owner of the business. Mm. If you can make that happen, that's what you want to have happen. I just wrote a blog about an experience Barbara had recently where she went in with our leased vehicle into the dealership to have some maintenance done. And the person that the service check-in person looked us up in the computer and said, well, I noticed that last time you were in, you were charged for something that you shouldn't be charged for. It's part of your lease program. I'm going to do the paperwork to get you a refund of the service that you had done two months ago. And I thought, are you kidding me? I mean, just think of that story. And I mean, I'd love to go tell his boss that he's got like a diamond here. Because that guy that I've told this story to probably 20 people already, and I'm writing a blog about it. That's the kind of impact you can have if your people behave as if it's their company. Those are the best companies. Southwest Airlines is a great example of that. Yeah. It's just an amazing company. Would you say that those tightly oiled teams, if you will, would make the best candidates for capital investment? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's where I would put my money on the team. It's the people team. And you get the ideas, and no matter what industry you're in. I was in a meeting the other day, and they were commiserating on how their industry is changing and whatever and whatever and whatever. And it wasn't my part of the agenda, so to speak. So I was just thinking about it and listening, and I thought, you know what? All your competitors are in exactly the same place. I mean, if it's changing, it's changing for all you guys. So it's like, who's going to figure it out? Right. It's up to the people that listen to their clients or customers and really understand what do they want and what are they willing to pay for what they want. And then you need to deliver that to them because that's the reality. Most of us aren't going to have some proprietary that we have that no one else can offer. We're going to have competition. In everything I do with clients, I assume there's competition. 
which is the famous Edward Deming, who was the king of quality, was quoted as saying that competition is actually good. And when I first heard that, I thought, what is he talking about? And then the more I digested it and soaked in it, it's like, yeah, with competition, we're all better. If I thought what I did, I had no competitors, I might not be as good knowing that I have all kinds of competitors. And that's all part of business to me. That's right. business at its essence. You reminded me of back in one of the communities in southeast Michigan when they put up one of these first automotive malls where all the different dealerships oh, from all yeah. the different mm-hmm. makers all landed in one strip. And the normal mindset would go, oh my gosh, all the competition decided to be together. But really, it's so smart. They made a market for all of them, yeah. some sort of multiplying you know, effect. There's actually a concept called beer on the beach. If you put two beer stands at either end of a beach, they will get less business than if you put them next to each other. <laughs> really? Wow. Yeah. Restaurants. Wow. We, in the local town where I live right now, we're seeing it. We had one or two really prominent restaurants. There's several new ones. If you go interview the original restaurant owners, they now have more business because the other restaurants that have come in have attracted more people that dine out. It's counterintuitive, but it is the way that it works. So. <laughs> right. Well, I'll change gears for a yeah. minute. You successfully transitioned from what many would call a very successful but very traditional career as a CPA. And we get questions from some people who are now retired or about to retire. And they say, hey, Rami, you know, I know you're working in this new social enterprise impact investing thing. And is there a place for someone like me? And what advice would you give to somebody that might have been in a traditional career track and is thinking about how they would get involved? Because you did that so gracefully. I know it might not have felt that, but from an outside perspective, it was very thoughtful and very graceful. And a lot of people are fearful of entering into this space with their traditional education and experiences. Yeah, so that's a huge subject. And by the way, I didn't do it gracefully, just for the record. I've actually written on this subject because I don't think, at least I'm not aware of much that has been written yet, what I call the next season. So I think I think uh, this maybe is going to sound a little bit consultant-ish. The first thing I would do is really assess who are you and what are your strengths What is your calling? What are you really good at? Really be honest with yourself. No matter what you did as a career, what are you really good at? Probably in the same category would be, what are you really passionate about? So you're really good, you're really passionate. I'd start free thinking about, well, where could that be utilized? And then what I'd say is I would do some piloting or experimenting back to my comment earlier. So I've learned more about myself since we're in our fifth year of Desher Advisors. I've learned probably more specifics about myself in Desher Advisors than I had learned prior to that. Mm. For instance, this whole concept that you've coined about dealing with the Olympic athletes 
I'm really not very good at giving advice to B and C players. Sometimes they don't even understand me. I'm just not very good at it. I'm smarter about excluding myself from situations than I was before. And as I reflect back on my career, I think, well, yeah, okay, that's why that was good, and that's why that worked out, that didn't work out, so on and so forth. So what I've done in Desher Advisors say, I'm only going to work with Olympic athletes. So experiment. Here's another thing that I think is really huge for people in this next season is a lot of people will have advice for you. Most of it I wouldn't listen to would be my (laughs) advice to you, to those listening that are in a similar situation to me. Blaze your own trail. As I led up to what became Dutch Advisors, I did a lot of research. And so, for instance, retirement is a relatively new concept that came about after World War II. It's really the industrial age created it. If you think about it, when we were agrarian, farmers didn't retire. I think farmers died and their kids took over. So there wasn't a thing called retirement. So we've sort of created this thing, number one. Number two, back then when they even, somebody decided that 62 or 65 was some magic age. If you look at the statistics today, if I make it to 62 or 65, more than likely I'm going to live another 30 or 40 years. So I'm going to just do what? Think about it as if it's another career or another life or another what? Do something with it. Do something with that time. I believe I said earlier, like, my goal is to get, I'm, I'm hopeful I can get maybe a 25, 30-year career with Desher Advisors. If I can stay healthy, keep my mind crisp, which in my world the most important thing would be my mind, I just really would challenge people to do something meaningful and it could be maybe somebody's done X and it might be tutoring students. I don't know. That's just not my thing. So it's just really clear to me what my calling is. I would just challenge people that are listening, that are thinking about it. What is your calling? I don't have anything against playing golf or whatever, but there's probably something a little more for you out there if you really go at it. And impact investing needs it. <laughs> In all the areas of the ecosystem, where there's a place for the wisdom Absolutely. and a place for the passion. My only option is to go serve a nonprofit or a faith-based organization. You're not sort of put out to pasture. There's a lot of opportunities in business. I think the next season can look however you want it to look. Just be honest with what you are and what you aren't. Don't worry about status. Don't worry about what Charlie's doing or what Mary is doing. Do what you feel you're called to do, and it'll just exhilarate you. I'm more exhilarated than I've ever been in my whole life because I feel like what I'm doing really, it's all integrated, and I have a purpose, and I am, using your word, impacting the people around me. Barbara and I have in our mission statement, we say that we would like to add value to someone's life 
every day I'd like to do it with at least one person. Mm. And that's how we try to live our lives. And we're not always successful, but that's kind of our vision for it. Yeah. Keeping it simple. And keeping it very simple, yes. Well, how would they reach you at Desher Advisors? Maybe give them your website and a couple ways to reach you if they are going to raise their hand and say, I'm an Olympic athlete looking for services. For those of you that are business-oriented people, Barbara and I write twice a month blog, which you can subscribe to at desheradvisors.com. I think get some good practical ideas of real life stories, which may catapult you into getting an idea of how you may do something, but I think it will give you a great idea. And if you do go on our website, under the resource section, for those of you who are in your next season, we actually have put together a whole outline of things to think about in the next season. I'll say if you were to read it, I did some of those things right and some of those wrong. And back to your word earlier, this was anything but graceful. Yeah, there's an air of hope and excitement around you. You're contagious. Hmm. (laughs) Thank you for the interview. You're welcome. Great to be here. (laughs) What a great perspective on transitioning. Thanks again, Tom for such an intimate peek into a superstar's mindset, you have helped so many. (laughs) As I reflect on this interview, I don't want anyone to leave thinking that we are somehow now gonna call impact investing time or people helping only, not at all. As a matter of fact, financial capital is absolutely a critical part of the equation. It's just that we don't want it to be the star. The truth is that money is only one of the tools in the toolbox that's put to use frequently. What I hope was highlighted here is that people helping people with skill building and strategic thinking really is a larger factor than anyone acknowledges. Tom was right. Many great supporters remain unknown, kind of behind the scenes, never taking credit for helping with that light bulb moment that may have changed the path of some of these companies forever. I would submit to all of you that the perfect combination of impact investing is some cash and some people help. I found that putting both together reduces the amount of cash needed overall and blows away the original goal, moving the enterprise from average to Olympic. Well, that's all for now. I'm going to introduce you to one of my new favorite Detroit artists. That's Erin Allen Kane. She's been on some of our other episodes. These songs, again, are all curated by Assemble Sound. So closing out this episode, here's the song Sunday by Aaron Allen Kane. Oh.